0: Welcome everyone to the episode of my uh, podcast. Hello if you are watching on the uh, YouTube. Um, As always, my regular listeners know I'm delighted to have um, people on my uh, podcast. Today um, is no uh, different. I have the brilliant uh, Kerry Cunningham from uh, Sixth Sense where their strap line is, know everything, do anything. And Kerry's headline reads, as thus, uh, for every complex problem there is an answer that is clear, simple, and wrong. Some guy who doesn't deserve credit for a spot on idea. Maybe we'll get into no. that. And then I'll go a little bit further down into your about section, uh, which reads, I rarely accept things in the business world as they are. I tend to see things as they should be and then get to get to work figuring stuff out kind of feel like you and I cut from a bit of the same cloth, Kerry, into (laughs) how our our brain um, works. So the title of today's show is, What is the Intent of Intent Data? Uh, But before we get into that, Kerry, as always, I start things off with kind of who, what, why, when, uh, where, I guess. And let's see where this takes us. Sure, yeah. Uh, Where should I start? Wherever you want to start, Kerry. Your story, and then uh, we can get into it. Uh, Yeah, generally, I take a pretty... uh,
1: a pretty antagonistic approach to the way things are done in general. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially in B2B, I think we've been, i spent my whole career in B2B. I started back in the mid nineties. And most of the, the kind of general run of how things have gone, I think has not been very well thought through Um, a lot of the processes and the ways that B2B has operated, particularly in the demand gen, Mm -hmm sales area has, uh, been a product of, uh, of the kind of default practices, uh, you know, Salesforce came along. And so now we're going to have leads. Uh, and, you know, I, I, grew up in B2B at a time when there weren't any inbound leads where you did yep. outbound prospecting. And that was that, <laughs> um, where at that time, if you uh, think about it, everything was account-based uh, mm-hmm. There was no, <laughs> were no leads. And if you had a prospect, the prospect was always an account, not an individual yeah. person. Um, I left B2B. Uh, I ran a third party teleservices organization for a long mm-hmm. time. So much closer to sales than marketing, but a lot of yeah. kind of product yeah. marketing stuff, developing messaging and that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, so we sold the company and I took a bunch of years out of business and I went uh, uh, and worked in five different research labs and social science and in San Francisco. Uh, I got a graduate degree in organizational psychology. I mm-hmm. studied a lot of uh, consumer psychology, really fascinating stuff. Uh, Learn how to do stats. Uh, and that sort of changed my perspective on everything. Cool. Uh, to me, it's kind of the, kingdom, the keys to the kingdom uh, is being able to understand what data is actually saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the person who's naturally skeptical like me, um, actually being able to see what the data is saying or not saying yeah. uh, was, you know, to me, I it was like the happiest day of my life when I ran my first uh, regression. Uh, so, you know, that was pretty exciting stuff. <laughs> uh, and then I came back to business and uh, spent about eight years at uh, Serious Decisions and then mm-hmm. Forrester after that acquisition. That was really good stuff. Uh, developed a demand unit waterfall. So, uh, my buddy Terry Flaherty and I looked at the existing Serious Decisions waterfall, which was the industry standard, and said, yeah. you know, this. Of a piece of crap and uh, doesn't really make a lot of sense and there's no way that we could you know after after looking at dozens and hundreds of yeah. uh, demand operations just realizing that the reason that we can't help people improve very much is because it's not a thing that can improve lead based demand gen and marketing you just you can the best you can be at it is just awful uh, right and, and, <laughs> uh, which is, the vast majority of B2B organizations have a conversion from lead to revenue of something, you know, under 1%. Yeah. Uh, so where else uh, in your operation would you think a 99% failure rate was? Cool. <laughs> you yeah. should just go with that. Yeah. Uh, or where you think getting from a 98 to ni- or 99 to 98% failure rate was good progress. Yeah. Uh, but that's what, That's what we saw for years. Mm -hmm. And so it finally dawned on us that we're looking at it the wrong way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when we started looking at it the different way, that's when things started to get really fun uh, and interesting. I'm very happy to talk about that because intent data uh, is a big piece of that puzzle.
0: And uh, I'm glad that you kind of taken us down that route around looking at things in a different way. I've just finished a... um, a book called by Tom Goodwin, um, Digital Darwinism, Darwinism, the second edition. And his kind of over is a brilliant read. Um, and he's not a cynic, but he kind of just takes a step back and looks at all this digital transformation chat that we're seeing in the world generally um, through a slightly different lens. And his view is that all we're doing is forcing this new technology onto all processors, processes rather than let's actually rip up the rule book and the old processes, old processes are not fit for purpose anymore. And we need to kind of reinvent how we are doing things. And I believe, you know, absolutely agree with you in terms of B2B sales. We've been doing the same old way for years and years and years. Like you, back in the day in recruitment, the only thing we could do was outbound, <laughs> smash those calls, hit the calls, and you you approached an account, not a person. You looked at an account, and you were cradle to grave in terms of the, um, uh, the, the the sales cycle. I was hiring salespeople into sales roles, and you did three roles: it's either new business, account management, or channel, and that was it <laughs> in terms of in terms of all this. And fast forward to you know where we are. Um, where we are today, I believe we have huge opportunity ahead of us. It's just we need people to be brave in terms of challenging the the norm and taking that leap of leap of faith. And the reason I wanted to kind of talk around the the intent data piece because that in itself causes so much debate kind of on social around what what is intent data and how useful is it in a B2B um, sales process. So if we kind of start there, and then go down maybe why the conversation is happening, because people are looking at it through the wrong lens, Yep. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, my favorite thing in the world to talk or write or present or whatever about right now. Uh, so, you know, about six years ago, uh, back at Serious Decisions, we came up with this thing that we called the Intent Data Framework because mm-hmm. at the time, Intent Data Bombora was just becoming a thing and people were saying, oh, maybe uh, instead of leads, we should be looking at intent data. And that's what mm-hmm. we should be thinking about and how we identify prospects. And um, it occurred to us in looking at that, that uh, there's some truth in that, but um, if the people who are on competitor websites are looking for competitors or looking for keywords or whatever, if that signals a good buyer for you, then it can't possibly be the case that the people who are on your website are less interesting. Mm-hmm. right? But almost nobody was looking at who's in their anonymous traffic. That's still the case today. Yeah. Um, so and, and so what we did with the intent data framework was said, okay, well, yeah. So third-party intent, that's a thing. People are out looking around for things and you can kind of tell what accounts are looking for, for what to some extent. Um, but then there's all of this traffic on your website that you're not looking at. So th- I think we were the first ones to say that's first-party intent. That's the people uh, you should be paying attention to that. And then your leads are another form of intent. Mm-hmm. Um, they really should be, in most cases, a stronger form of intent, but not the way that you're looking at them. Um, The way that you're looking at them is each individual person who comes to your website and fills out a form represents one unique selling opportunity. That's, without articulating it, that's exactly how that's been treated. When you do a conversion rate in demand Mm -hmm. gen, you say how many leads converted out of how many total we had. Yeah. But when you look at the data, the data always shows something like one and a half to two leads per account. So yep. if you look at any period of time, uh, for six cents last year, we have, we have these things called hot leads or kind of like an MQL. Um, we had uh, I'm going to not get the exact number right, but like 836 of them, something like that. That came from 419 accounts. We mm-hmm. sell one thing, so we didn't have 836 selling opportunities. Yep. at the very most, there were 419 yeah. Right? Yep. But then when you look further into the data, and this is also true of everybody that we looked at, um, about half of our leads came from accounts where there was only one lead from that account, right? Right. So out of that 419 accounts, Mm -hmm. 212 of them, I think, for for us, there was just one person in the entire year who filled out a form from that account. Those are not prospects. (laughs) You know, that's that's a person with a personal interest, right? Yeah. Um, The other accounts had an average of three people, but that's also super lumpy so that sometimes you have nine and 10 or 12 or whatever. Mm -hmm. So for for me back then and and even now, the revelation is you have to know which accounts are sending a ton of people to your website and pay attention to them Mm -hmm. at the exclusion of everybody else. Let everybody else look at your content ungate stuff. Let them go. Pay attention to the accounts where there's seven or eight or nine people, and those seven or eight or nine people could be anonymous. They could be people who filled out forms. Who cares? If a, yeah. if an account is sending a bunch of people to your website, then you should you should be paying attention to that, and you should prioritize those for your BDR SDR teams and your sales reps. That's you know, and the minute you explain that to folks, they're like, oh well, yeah, okay, duh, right. It's just, you know, I mean, it's like, this, it's, it's like the, the, the simplest, most obvious thing in the world. Yeah. Everybody gets it right away. The problem is the systems and processes that we've had for the last 15 years in B2B don't let you do it. Uh, you just, I mean, if what you have is marketing automation and Salesforce automation, you're not going to be able to see it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Google Analytics is not going to show it to you in real time either. So you're just not going to know. If an account that you love that is in your sweet spot has 10 people on your website next week, you'll yeah. never know. <laughs> you're going to be completely oblivious to that. Even if all 10 of them fill out forms, you're still not going to know because you're going to send each one of those leads to a BDR. Yeah. And that yeah. BDR is going to look at it one at a time. They're going, to, they're going to look at the one that they like the most and try that. Maybe they try two of them. Um, You're counting on the least trained, least experienced person in your organization to recognize that there's a real selling opportunity here, right? Which is probably Mm -hmm. not a great bet. Um, And then what they're going to do, because their incentive is I got to produce a sales qualified lead for sales. So if they get one of those guys uh, to get a hold of them and qualify and send them to sales, they're done with that account. That's it. So if you send eight more leads from that account to that BDR, they're just going to mark them as duplicates or already working or whatever yeah. it is. Right. Um, so as a, if you're in marketing, you have done an amazing job or gotten very lucky at having, you know, all of these people come to your website and you're ignoring almost all of it, if not suppressing most of it. Yeah. And sales is to blame here too, because sales will say, yeah, don't, you don't keep sending me those things. I already got those. I already got that. I already got that. Right. So all of these, Incentives are really operating against the best interests of the organization and against the organization actually recognizing what's happening, which is the simplest thing in the world. A whole a whole buying team, buying group is on your website looking at you hard, uh, and you are not seeing it. Right. So for me, that's that's what's animated over almost everything that I've done over the last uh, six or seven years, and where the intent conversation comes into it. You know, we, what we did after. About five years is we've modified the intent data framework and said, it's buying signals. That's what we care about. Everybody mm-hmm. gets hung up on what's intent, what's not intent. Forget that. There are buying signals. There are there are many, many types of buying signals. And what you have to do as an organization is recognize the ones that matter to you, the ones that really indicate a buying process that you can compete for, pay attention to those forget about everything else, make it as simple as possible for your sellers to understand which accounts are really, really in market and then mm-hmm. get those things to them, right? That's the, to me, that's the whole thing. There's every intent vendor sells signals and some of those signals are great and some of those signals are not great. The signals that are on your website anonymously, you know, we, we're doing this research now at Six Cents, 97% of your web traffic on average is anonymous. Yep. If you're a marketer and you're not doing everything you can to understand what's in that 97%, it's malpractice, right? Either fix it or turn in the keys of that engine and go do something else. That's what I think you know about that, right? It's terrible, right? And you've already paid for it. This is this is sunk cost. This is this is a product of your work that's showing up on your website and mm-hmm. you're ignoring. And that's just absurd. Now, that doesn't mean. So this is where I want you know the the big change in the way people need to think about this is, I'm not saying anonymous traffic is a better signal than leads. Uh, I'm not saying anonymous traffic is better than third party intent or third party intent is better than anonymous traffic. Mm-hmm. They all suck individually. <laughs> None of them by themselves are going to be very good. Yeah. Right. It's just the combination of all of these things that can help you really prioritize much more effectively. So. If you've got a, an MQL from a fortune 500 company or something that you're trying to sell to, and that's the only thing that, you know, uh, what you can uh, take from that one MQL is that that company's not going to be buying anything from you anytime soon.
0: Yeah.
1: If that's the only person on your website, looking at your stuff, forget it. That's nothing. Right. But if you have that MQL and you have a big surge of anonymous traffic, that same, same week, same month, Mm -hmm. you probably want to pay attention to that. Right? Yeah. And you don't have to train people to know that. That's obvious, right? Uh, and the same thing if you have third-party intent. If you see a lead and a little bit of anonymous traffic and a ton of third-party intent, like marketing's got to get on that. Like marketing yeah. has to get those people who are out there looking for the kind of thing you sell to come to your website and be anonymous traffic and be leads, right? So that uh, all of the signals help you understand who should be doing what, where that buyer is in their journey mm-hmm. and then how you should be prioritizing those things. So uh, that's a long rant on that, but that's, you know, when, when I think about intent data, I sort of want people to stop thinking about intent data yeah. and really yeah. start thinking about what are the signals that will help you identify the buyers that you should be paying attention to and then do everything you can to cobble together all of those signals mm-hmm. uh, and, and bring them together into one thing that's going to help a sales rep, not only know which, Account to focus on, but you know what to focus on and and, yep. and help out in understanding what to say.
0: I think, and, I, and again, I guess this is you know the, the marketing in terms of how how it is, is presented. I hadn't ever really considered that you have your your leads. You then have your first party data and and your third party. your leads, your first party data, then there's the the anonymous data around around that, but it's still yours, I guess, and the third party data. Can you just kind of break down a little bit further for listeners as to what you mean by by third party data? Because I know what you mean, but other people may not know exactly what that means.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So uh, in terms of third party data, there are lots of vendors of different kinds who collect data uh, about individuals uh, from organizations that are exhibiting buying behaviors or shopping behaviors. So exactly. they're doing searches on keywords, which is one of the primary ways. So, you know, the people who uh, do your advertising, do your SEO, they, they know what the keywords are. Your, you know, your prospects are out using those kinds of keywords. And there are a bunch of vendors who collect the data on, on which organizations are using those keywords a lot. And that's a form of intent data third-party intent data. Um, One of the important ones is a branded keyword. So if somebody's uh, doing searches on your competitors, um, then you can know about that. Um, And you can buy intent data that tells you that, yeah, these guys are out looking for your competitors. So if you're a marketer, uh, third-party intent data should be very interesting for you Mm -hmm. because it's the leading indicator that somebody's in market for the kind of thing that you sell. But anything that's uh, a leading indicator is also going to be not a very strong signal. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be a weak signal, which is why when you have those kinds of signals, the best thing you can do is apply low-cost, high-scale tactics against them. You know, if you just, if you, if you're buying intent data and the intent data says, here are a hundred companies who are researching keywords associated with the kind of thing that you sell and they're just starting to show interest in those things, yeah. that is not a place to send your sales reps. That's right. going to be a loser most of the time. Mm-hmm. But that is a place to send your ads. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? So <Yeah. laughs> if you're advertising in there, if you know people there, send them an email. Right. Yeah. Um, automate that process at scale so that you can sort of test to see if they're, you know, are they in market? Um, yeah. Will they yeah. come to your website and look around? Right. But I think the big mistake with intent data early on, that kind of intent data was saying, oh, we see these guys are in market. Let's give that to sales. Uh, And that just doesn't work most of the time. Uh, Now, if you've got a a sales team uh, that is accustomed to and good at cold calling, then that's a better set of accounts to cold call into than a set of accounts where you don't know anything. Yeah. Right? So yeah. Yeah. If you're at priorities of things to do, you would say, OK, well, uh, we're not getting them to our website. Uh, we have a set of accounts that we care about. Some of those accounts appear to be looking around uh, at yeah. competitors yeah. or other. OK, that's better than just a random yeah. approach to a random mm-hmm. account. But it's not that much better. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it's a little bit better. Uh, but the way things get sold, of course, uh, in the beginning is, oh, this is so much better. It's not even cold calling. Yeah. No yeah, it sure is. It, it's definitely cold calling and it's not that much better. Um, and so you definitely you know what you really want is for marketing to be operating against those third party signals that are weaker signals of who's in market mm-hmm. and who's going to respond to you. Um, but you know so if you're a, if you're a brand that's uh, that you're relatively new or small in your space, then third party intents going to be very important because your prospects may not be finding you early in their buying journey. Yeah. Right. That's so, they're an early warning system. These folks are not going to come to your website right away. They don't know who you are. So, now you can use this third party intent signal to help you understand. Another really good source of the third party intent, and one of the better ones is the in software, anyways, the product review sites.
0: Um, okay. And, that, the GT crowd and that. Kind yeah, of stuff.
1: exactly right. Because uh, that's one of the, you know, they, they do a really good job of getting found and they have a lot of people coming to their yeah. sites to look at, you know, just for software kinds of stuff. But there are resources like that across a variety of industries. So, you know, th- that's another kind of source of third party data that says these guys are probably in market or they might be in market. So again, send the high high scale, low cost mm-hmm. tactics at them to get them to try to come engage. Um, really only when they come engage and you really know that they're not only in market but they might be receptive to you, Yeah, that's, that's when it becomes a much better play for SDRs and sales to start getting involved. Um, you know, ideally, uh, every organization would be holding back prospects and not giving them in- to sales until you absolutely knew that these guys were in market, right? Yeah. Um, these are what the, they're absolutely going to buy, uh, and we know that, and we can keep our sales reps and everybody busy just with that stuff. Yeah. Now, that that's a fantasy. That's not what happens for anybody. But ideally, that's what you that would be optimal, right? Everything else you do is less than optimal. So the idea, I think, is to figure out, okay, well, if, it's, if, it, if the optimal thing is people are out looking around and we can see that, they come to our website a lot and we can see that, they fill out some forms, we have good names, now we hand that to the SDRs and they qualify and then that's kind of optimal and that would be, for most organizations, the, the lowest cost of sale mm-hmm. approach. Then instead of saying, we're going to do that, and then if that doesn't, if we don't have enough of that, we'll just have our sales reps cold call. Uh sales reps cold calling is probably the least optimal, right? Yep. So you've got the most optimal, the least optimal. There's all kinds of stuff in between. And that's where all of these signals come into play. So you can say, well, okay, um, we don't have leads from this account, but we know that there's a bunch of people on our website anonymously. There's third-party intent. Mm-hmm. It is a pretty good bet there's something happening there, but you're going to have to work hard to get in there, find the right people and all of that, right? That's better than, than a pure cold call on a, on an unknown
0: account. An account. And, right. uh, people. I mean, here, I mean, I'm totally on board with everything you're you're saying. And I think it's 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 just fascinating in terms of hearing it being broken down into its its component parts versus, I guess, what you see in terms of the shiny marketing and what what can be done. But I'm starting to kind of in my mind, kind of thinking of the other. Well, what's now bubbling up is the is the, we're making assumptions that this is all obvious to people and. Certainly, okay. I'm going to be broad brushstroke here, but in my world of more kind of professional services, you start to talk about some of this, and the, the marketing teams, for the most part, it's not really on their their radar, and they just do what they do because they're paid to do what they do. If we kind of take a step back into B2B sales more broadly, you then got the narrative which is um, the tension between sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. So. Because there's that tension between sales and marketing, and marketing don't really know what sales are doing and vice versa, marketing may well look at that and miss it because they're not understanding what sales are trying to do and sales aren't educating marketing, which then I guess comes full circle back to your, you know, at the top of the show that kind of it's it, it's all broken, um, which then the I had Brent Adamson on the podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago Talking about the the piece that he had, he was the people um, at Challenge Sale and the piece that he did um, in uh, HBR with um, Smart Technologies, the Canadian company, which ripped up the rule book in their sales and marketing process and created the unified cent- central engine, the UCE, Ooh. where they didn't define between sales and marketing. You just operated as one, and the handover was not block, block, block. It kind of flexed, really, depending on where the buyer was in that in that journey so this feels like again that do we need to reinvent actually how all of this works together to actually maximize the most out of the technologies like six Sense provide
1: yeah um yeah absolutely um and so you know that is so we just rebranded our platform a little while ago and and uh we call it revenue ai now okay. so it's and, and uh i was uh, one of the uh, two people who were on stage uh, presenting serious decisions revenue operations model uh, a few years ago, um, which is the same thing this whole idea of revenue operations uh, really this the same idea that we have to have a unified revenue production machine yeah uh, it they don't have to be in the same organization or report to the same people, but they damn sure have to use the same data and have Mm -hmm. have processes that are perfectly compatible and interlocked. Right. And that's, you know, so that that's the most important thing. I think the rev ops kind of movement, if you will get a little bit off, because I think what it really meant for a lot of folks is let's have marketing report to sales. (laughs) Uh, That's it. Could, that could be right. Or, or, you know, or not depending upon the organization. But the most important thing I think is sales has to, or marketing has to understand your job is to produce opportunities that sales can close. There is not another, you know, there's yeah. not some yeah. other purpose in B2B for marketing and brand is part of that. It's a huge part of it. Um, yeah. All of yeah. the things that marketing does are very important. And I think, you know, what one of the things that I would really like marketers to understand is that, uh, and I think, you know, there's a growing understanding of this, but to the extent that you can make yourself absolutely indispensable to sales because you're producing great opportunities, Mm -hmm. your budgets and prestige in the organization will grow. Right. But if you, if you're not producing opportunities that sales can convert and turn into revenue, it's going to be very difficult to maintain budgets and the relationship with sales is not going to be good. Uh, There's, I mean, I think it's that simple. Um, And that, it, it works two ways in some respects in that sales often doesn't understand or want to understand why it's necessary to spend money on brand and on, yeah. on, on the pretty things that marketing can produce and all of that. Um, you know, like what I talked about earlier with third party intent and if people aren't coming to your website, well, the cost of sale uh, will go way up if people don't know your brand and don't like it. You know, that's just going to be much harder for you to, they're not going to answer your calls or respond to your emails, but if your brand is out there, like our, our CMO has done an amazing job of just getting our brand everywhere. Uh, People generally think we're like 10 times the size we are because our brand is everywhere in our space and people know it and they, and they like it. And so when our sales reps and BDRs call, they have a much better chance of reaching people and getting a positive response. Um, now, those are not the direct effects that sales often needs to feel because sales has a quarter to make and all of that. Yeah. Uh, but those things, those things are really necessary. So there's, there's education to be done on both sides. Um, sales has got to understand this other stuff that seems kind of fluffy and, you know, people's feet don't seem to be held to the same uh, temperature yeah. fires, sometimes, all of that. That stuff's necessary. Um, so, so yes, we have to have a unified organization that's built around producing opportunities that sales can convert, not some other thing. Like everything else is in support of that. There isn't, uh, you know, we're we're doing brand because brand is great and fun. No, we're doing brand because people will know us, like us, come to our website, the minute they think they have the problem we solve and then they'll pick up the phone when our sales rep calls, right? That's why you have all of that stuff. Um, And when people forget that is I think when, uh, you know, we get problems. Mm On the other side, the education for sales is all that stuff's really necessary if you're going to compete effectively. Uh, your blood, sweat, and tears as a sales rep uh, is not going to produce nearly as much if your marketing's not effective. Uh, and that, that that doesn't necessarily always mean that what marketing does produces a lead for you or a prospect tomorrow. Uh, it means that next quarter, our ability to reach people is much better than it was last quarter because we did some amazing things that caused everybody to know who we are and yeah. like us.
0: And so I, think- I'm, I'm in, in, in agreement with you because if I, again, if I reflect back on my days 20 years ago in, in recruitment, actually – marketing was was the brand so that when you cold call, call someone that actually heard of the company you, you, you were calling from, oh, I've heard of that company, well, I'll yeah. give you an extra 30 seconds to, to do your pitch versus kind of this kind of strange tension we're finding ourselves now in terms of kind of the whole social selling kind of piece and debate is an interesting one around should SDRs and A's have a personal brand? How does that interact with marketing? What is it in this, in this, in, in this day and age? But it's also just kind of picking up on your point around actually the ideal world is you have your sales teams focusing purely on, you know, you hold back the 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 leads until you know, based on all we've talked about, these are the ones that you go to. But that is completely in tension with that in, in tension uh, with how everybody is KPI'd, how managers are KPI'd in terms of I need more volume, I need more on the talks, so I do more of this, I'm ticking kind of boxes. So, how are you seeing organizations that are adopting you know, your technology and your your insights kind of grapple with that yeah. to make sure they're getting the best out of what it is that you're providing them?
1: Yeah. That, it, you're hitting on a very, very important, very difficult uh, area because one it's, it's, you're, we're, you're asking right now to change the existing culture that exists around how revenue is produced. It's not just yeah. the process stuff. And uh, you know, so, and and the culture has always been um, for sales it's just give me more, give me better, and I'll get it done. Um, That is not the answer. I mean, better is the answer. Uh, More would be nice, Mm -hmm. but we can today. So uh, I'll I'll use an example. I think uh, that uh, from my, my evolution over the last couple of years, um, I ran a third party teleservices organization for a long time. We, Ramped from fifteen to five hundred or so reps by the time we finished. Um, all B two B, and we by the time we were you know uh, two or three years from the end, uh, we were incredibly process driven and tight. Like we, you know, we we didn't allow reps to make a decision about who to call or when or how much. Everything was governed very tightly. Why? Because we have no idea which prospect or which account is going to buy. And we don't want the reps guessing either. So yep. if you don't have any idea, you got hundred accounts, these are the hundred accounts we're going after. We need to apply the exact same level of effort to every one of them until we get some sort of signal that, okay, this is one where we invest more. Yep. But we don't invest more until we know that. And we don't disinvest until we know that, yep. uh, so, right? So we just, you know, so we govern everything tightly. Because it was a game of the odds. You're just playing the odds. You're going to put the right level of effort into all of them. You give yourself the best chance of succeeding. And that's what I I did in our organization. That's what I taught everybody else to do when I was at Serious Decisions. Um, But that is not the right approach anymore. Uh, Because now we can know so much more about those 100 accounts. Mm -hmm. Now I can say, out of those 100 accounts, here's the 20. That are far and away more likely to respond and be in a buying process than the other hundred. So we're not going to apply the same level of energy to the twenty as we do to the other eighty. We're going to apply most of our energy to the twenty, and we're gonna, you know, we're gonna keep pinging the hundred because our processes aren't perfect. Our knowledge isn't perfect. Yeah. Some of them are in market too, right? But we're gonna invest much more heavily in this much smaller set, and that's a completely different paradigm than it's been in the past. So where we see that happening, you know, so inside our customers, that's what we want them to do. uh, Because we're saying, we know, right? And we can measure inside the platform. Um, We know that these guys are in market. We've been looking at their behavior for two months now, three months now. We see the signals, intent signals, first party intent signals, the leads are all ramping up. All of that gives them this score that says, these guys need attention from SDRs and sales now you have to get on this or you're going to miss an opportunity. And then when we measure, how did you do against those versus how did you do against everything else? The difference yep. is very stark, right? Okay. That's, so for for customers of ours, Yep. That's the process. It, it generally starts pretty skeptically with sales, right? Uh, with sales saying, okay, well, we'll see. And we just say, you know, just apply your best effort against the ones we give you. Yep. Uh, apply the best effort against the other stuff that you're doing, and we'll see how it pans out. You know, if it doesn't pan out, then you'll fire us and off we go, right? Um, that's the way it should be. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, <absolutely. laughs>
1: uh, so, But that, that, that's the process. And I think for virtually any sales organization, there has to be... A, there's going to be skepticism. It's justified skepticism because there have been so many silver bullets that have been thrown their way over the years. Mm -hmm. So they're gonna be skeptical, need to respect that skepticism, run a pilot, start with uh, something that's manageable, demonstrate some success that says, and and by the way, the, the instruction that I always give is, if you apply your best effort to the opportunities that we say are the ones that are in market, Mm -hmm. You will produce a better result on average than if you do something else. So we're not saying you're going to close every one of these things. They're all perfect opportunities. You're going to close every one. No, it's you apply your best effort here. You're going to do better. You're going to make more money. You're going to close more deals. Now, is it 50% more, 100% more, 75% more? That's going to depend on time and over, you know, in different territories and whatever it might be. But that's the idea. We'll improve your performance if you focus on those opportunities, and I think that's the approach that you know we really, really want to be cautious about promising sales that you know once you once you get these Glengarry leads, now (laughs) you're going to be in. Now (laughs) this is going to be Glengarry. Oh, these are the Glengarry leads. Yeah, (laughs) it just it's not that way. Um, We definitely see that effect in some of our customers. That's awesome. In some you know, maybe it's, maybe your organization's now 20% better. Mm -hmm. Uh, 20% sounds for some people like it's awful. That's terrible. Who who cares?
0: No, 20%. Yeah. uh, I think most organizations, especially in the economy, the headwinds we're facing, all of us are facing now. I think anybody would take, take 20%. And as you're talking, it reminds me of a quote from um, Fallon Batami, who um, set up Node back in 2015, 2016. She recently sold to, um, I think, Sugar, CRM, and now she's doing some podcasty thingy with um, Mark Cuban. But it's back I think 2017 she was being interviewed, and she said her kind of promise was around her whole. Uh, she's ex Google was all around using data to make better decisions for sellers and so on. But she said um, the science is only as good as the art of this, the art of selling. So you can still present what you believe to be your best bet <laughs> in terms of going after these custom these potential customers and put your best efforts in. But if you've got a Shit, bunch of salespeople that approach it all wrong and have a bad approach it's kind of like you're, you know, you're not getting the Glengarry leads because you're weak type, types right. of things. So you, you can yeah. lead a horse to water, but if you you still then have to execute upon that sale process, if you will, effectively to bring those people along the um, along the journey, and they may well be, you know, what I do want to talk to you because that's you know fortuitous. We are thinking about this, but if you then balls that up. You know, Six Sense hasn't failed in terms of uh, its ability to produce the right people to to um, right. to point you out. Your sales processes or your salespeople pulled it up.
1: Well, a hundred percent. And you know, so one of the, of course, you, all of this stuff, intent data, predictive analytics, was oversold like crazy in the beginning, and uh, because it was oversold, the expectation uh, on the part of salespeople was, okay, you're handing me this thing now, I. Make one call and off we go, you know. Uh, yeah. and, and it just was never going to work that way. Um, Six Sense has said has, has used language that I don't like very much uh, in the past, like you know, it's like we eliminate cold calls. And no, no, we don't. Um, and, I mean, you may have fewer cold calls. Yeah. Your cold calls should be much more effective. But for a sales rep, uh, so it was just to back up one step. Like a lot of times I talked about the combination of all of these different signals. Mm-hmm. So every account will have a different combination of signals. Yeah. Some may be swarming your website and have a bunch of people who filled out forms. Mm-hmm. Um, but there may be another account that's also at the same point in their buyer's journey, but they haven't spent very much time with you. Uh, maybe they don't have anybody who's filled out a form, but every other sign, third party intent, anonymous mm-hmm. traffic, all of it says they're in market. They're gonna buy from you or from a competitor. Come on, right? yeah. Right? But we don't maybe we don't have a hot lead from them. So we're still gonna say that that one, you have to go get into that one, right? Mm-hmm. And there is not and we don't have a lead for you, but we're telling you this one is gonna buy from yeah. your competitor if you don't get in there, right? That's a cold call uh for your sales rep. And you can't tell them it's not. If you tell them it's not and then you ask them to do it, you know, they're gonna react the way they're gonna be, you know. <they're>, you know. <laughs> it's it's that's a cold call it requires a level of effort that's different from picking up the phone when somebody calls or calling somebody back so you know i i wish nobody would say that we're ending cold calls i would, you know they are going to be cold calls you're going to be much better prepared your hit rate on them is going to be so much higher than it was before because you know so much about them and we know they're in market uh but you still got to make it happen.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you, <know? yeah>. um, <laughs> yeah, you, you absolutely do. And I think that's with anything in terms of lead generation, digital prospects and whatever we're calling, it's all about, you know, starting that conversation, but then you have got to take that conversation the whole way through. How that conversation starts is almost irrelevant well, <laughs> in my in, in my point of view. But to your point, what you want to make sure is you're at least putting your best your best foot forward to be having the starting the conversations with the, the right people who are vaguely in the right frame of mind that they're prepared to have a conversation with you because we know they're thinking about doing something based on a, the product or service that that you um that you solve, and it's. It's just, Yeah, I said, and this is the something you know. I have a love hate ratio with social media because some of the some of the stuff you see kind of peddled out there. You think, oh my god, really? <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not in that world anymore. But um, but there we are. So, if somebody is thinking about. Or they're listening to this podcast, you know. Where what's and they think, you know, what I want to give this a go. What what would your advice be in terms of how you handle a conversation internally to take to their leaders? Going, you know, I've listened to Karen Alex talking about stuff. To your point, there are skeptics out there still in terms of what what would be your advice to kind of get some buy-in from stakeholders yeah. that may not be so bought into it. That's a really long way of asking. Really so yeah,
1: no, again. So well, one is do your homework beforehand. And the homework uh, means something like this. So if, if you're in marketing and you want to talk to sales about a different approach that involves intent data and all of that, You've got to understand what that looks like before you go talk to sales about it. Okay. So the easiest thing in the world is go look in your marketing automation system, presuming you have one, and mm-hmm. find out. You know, so I said that there's going to be between one and a half and two and a half leads per account. Go yeah. find out what that looks like. Right, That's the first thing that you have to understand. And as a marketer, you need to have that revelation. Right, You've been passing leads to sales as if each one represents a new selling opportunity. It's just not true. Sales knows it's not true and they think you are an idiot for doing that, right? Mm -hmm. So understand what that is, document it so that you can show it. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can, another thing that you can do is say, um, of all of the opportunities that sales worked last quarter, what did the leads look like in your system for the prior two quarters? Uh, You know, how many different individuals from that account came to your website in the prior couple of quarters? What you'll almost always see is that the opportunities that ended up ha- happening, just like the, the accounts that, that became opportunities, had a bunch more people on your website than other accounts, right? So what we're saying is we want to make sure that we notice that in advance going forward. Like if, if two months before an opportunity, uh, before you get a stage one opportunity, you get three or four people from an account on average looking at you, Um, What you're telling sales now is we haven't been able to notice that in the past. We now want to be able to notice that so that we can focus our efforts on that and ensure that we get the right people coming to the website, ensure that you as the sales rep know about it and know that it's coming. Um, Most of the time, the accounts that have opportunities will only have one person, you know, at most who's come through marketing attached to that. Um, And so what... What marketing needs to explain is that we could have probably told you about two or three other people from that buying committee. They're in our data. They're back here looking at our stuff.
0: Stock- you're talking, I'm like, this is so flipping obvious when you kind of hear it kind of laid out <laughs> in, in, in very simple terms that even yeah. you know, a, a mere morgan like me can understand. It's like, it's effing obvious. Go back through your pipeline, go back through your close one deals and actually understand what was happening before you got what to it the conversation. Like but yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And then if you, uh, you know, if you uh, are thinking about working with us, or one of our competitors, have us do the same thing with your anonymous traffic, and with third party intent, historically, look at it, what did it look like for those accounts prior to the time, Uh, we can tell you, and then Uh, you can say, okay, well, here we can find patterns that will show us which accounts we need to focus on and which which accounts you need to focus on in sales now and which ones we'll keep focusing on in marketing uh, until they're ready for you to work them. And we can get much closer to providing you the ones that you really should be working and filtering out the ones that you shouldn't. The other thing is, don't try to tell sales that you're just going to do a, we want to do a hard cut. Now, from now on, the only thing you're ever going to work is the perfect, beautiful stuff from us. It's not going to work that way for, for one to begin with. (laughs) Uh, And sales it's just going to make them very nervous. Uh, So, you know, I hate MQLs. I think it's one of the worst things that's ever happened uh, to B2B this idea of lead scoring or whatever, terrible. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you have MQLs in place, don't, take them out and rip them uh, apart and, and do something else right away, run them in parallel. Yeah. Uh, but every time you send an MQL to a sales rep, uh, do a report that shows how many people from that organization have been on your website and yeah. give them those people, right? Uh, show them, show sales what else is happening to give them that backup. Now, if you put us in, then we'll, we'll just do that for you. You know, you yeah. you'll automatically get that. But those things you can do right away. Uh, the other thing I would say, and this is a, a non six sense, non-technology process uh, uh, for sure, but just every month, every marketing organization, maybe every two weeks even, should do a report that just bundles the people who filled out forms uh, by account. So and then send those to the teams that own those accounts.
0: So I'm sorry. literally going to be when 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 this podcast is recorded, that's the one thing I'm going to do now as a marketing going, right? Run me this report or give me all the data and I'll flipping well do it because I'm I see what goes into CRM and I just just a list of people that have filled out forms. I mean I haven't thought about I'm thinking again, I'm a moron, I'm a moron. Why should I not aggregate all these in terms of by organization? Um, even though they're different business units, but it doesn't, you know, at least it gives you some insight in terms of one it person. Does. Versus fifteen, hmm. fifteen people from this company have signed something. Maybe we should go and sniff around that a little bit, um, uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit further. Um, thank you so much for giving actionable insights, my listeners. I think it's always brilliant when my guests do that. Um, I genuinely suggest that people go and have a look at what Cents are um, are up to. It is uh, it is interesting. Uh, if you want to find you, Kerry, where's the best place for them to reach out to you and if they want to learn more about what you're up to.
1: Yeah, so uh, you can find me on LinkedIn and uh, there's a, uh, a page on the sixth Sense domain called the Science of uh, B2B. Uh, so I've started my own podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm mostly uh, just doing little thought experiments, some of the things that we've talked about today and uh, telling some stories. Um, and uh, so you can come find that. Uh, we're just kind of getting going with that. and then I'm all over the place. I, 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 they're writing things all over the place on our, on our blog on LinkedIn. Uh, awesome. everywhere that uh, they'll let me uh, say these words i'll let you loose I'll put <laughs>
0: the i haven't got this youtube bit right i think almost i'll put the links um down there for those of this on um, watching on youtube thats uh, so all that uh, if you're listening to this and you do um uh, contact carrie please mention the podcast that this is how you've um, you've got to maybe we'll do one around dark social that's a whole different uh, topic of convert topic of, topic of conversation but carrie it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on thank you so much for affording Good me time. and my audience your time and insight. So I've, I've really enjoyed it my pleasure. Great, great talking with you. And for my regular listeners, if you want to be on this podcast and you know what to do, if you want to recommend people to be on this podcast, you know what to do. But wherever you are in the world, I um, hope you enjoy this one. Uh, subscribe, follow, do all the usual social media, smash like buttons, et cetera. But enjoy the rest of your day. And thanks all for listening.